You're listening to the MLS Multiplex Podcast with contributors from MLSMultiplex.com. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the MLS Multiplex Podcast. Like usual, it is Drew here with Connor and Josh. Uh, here talking about all things MLS. Pretty busy week, pretty busy day, but we're going to get into all of that. But first, guys, we're going to start with Connor this week. Connor, how was your week, bud? Uh, pretty good. Just chilling, relaxing, great. Really hot in Canada, which, banger. Uh, it's been an interesting week with all the other sports news, you know, Patrick Mahomes, the thing that came out today, NHL is going to come back, uh, maybe depending a vote thing, but that's another conversation. Um, yeah, just chilling, doing just as good as Toronto FC is in terms of traveling. Uh, Josh, how are you doing, bud? I'm doing fine. It's been, again, you know, more of the same, chilling, hanging out. I've been rewatching uh, Stranger Things 3 since that came out about a year ago. I haven't seen any of it since then, so it's been fun to go back and rewatch through that. And then it's been good to get back into writing a lot. Been doing a ton of stuff. Uh, just submitted a big tactics preview. This is a, this is a shameless self plug here. Just just submitted a, a pretty hefty is like three thousand two hundred fifty words. That was just the Eastern Conference alone. So hopefully that's out soon on the website and you guys can read it and everyone out there can read it. I'm pretty proud of it. It's, it's bare bones stuff, but it is a lot and I'm excited. And it's helped me uh, really understand hopefully what to expect from this tournament with how unpredictable everything is. Everything, everything is unpredictable. I was going to say uh, the predictability in terms of that is if it actually happens, because even mm-hmm. that's unpredictable at this point. Um, oh yeah. I was going to say, cause this is a good transition. If you haven't been checking out Drew's work, uh, he's doing some really cool stuff around the NWSL. He and uh, I'm blanking on this guy's name. I apologize. It's John. John. There you go. John Harbeck. John Harbeck. Uh, they've both been putting out an article for every game that's gone out for the NWSL. So go and check out their uh, their work. Josh has got some good stuff going. I'll probably have stuff. Maybe um, we'll see. But <laughs> whatever. Um, this is a good way to transition into the NWSL because, as I mentioned, uh, Drew has been writing a lot about them, so he's going to carry this conversation because I'm still unable to watch games. But I did see the goal last night, which, oh boy, that was one of the nicest little heel flick cross set pieces, but the coach denies it being a set piece, but it's actually a set piece goals that I think I've ever seen. What did you guys think of that goal? Yeah, it was cool. Um, Ashley Sanchez was the one who made the miraculous flick that has gone viral. And I think it was Sam Stab um, got that header in that I I think at first everyone thought it was an own goal because it bounced off Megan Klingenberg's head. But it was already goal bound, so Sam got the credit for the goal. But yeah, that was a really fun game. Portland Washington, I think, are two pretty good teams. We had Lindsey Horan's diving header um, to open the goal scoring for Portland, so that was a lot of fun. But it, yeah, it's been a pretty busy little week. Um, they're playing games all the time. Thankfully, today was an off day, um, and I think tomorrow is another off day until games get back. But yeah, that flick by Ashley Sanchez has kind of gone around Twitter, so it's really cool seeing NWSL getting around social media that way. 
Um, and Aubrey Bledsoe, our best friend of the podcast, made a really big save there to keep a point for the spirit. So shout out Aubrey and shout out Ashley for helping my fantasy NWSL team stay on top of the league. So have to plug my fantasy NWSL team every episode. But yeah, it You're was winning? fun. I'm not winning the whole thing, but I'm, I'm better than I thought I was going to do. I tell you that, but but yeah, I thought it was good. Um, and Connor, going back to when we talked about the teams we were kind of following, your Houston Dash have surprised, I think, everyone. They have five goals through two games, and I don't know where that came from. What can I say? It's so. that Canadian talent. The Canadian talent, always the Canadian talent. Canadians are the best at soccer, period. Nobody comes close to Christine Sinclair. She's the greatest player of all time. Yeah, but she's not on your team. She's on my team. Oh, but she's on my national team. Yeah, that's true. That pretty, that probably, much, probably trumps it. But I want to say, speaking of Houston, it, it seems like forever ago because it was about a week ago, but the day after we recorded the po- podcast was that crazy Houston Dash Utah Royals game, which ended up in a 3 3 draw. But Houston jumped out, and at one point they were winning 3-1, and then Utah came back at the end of the game. Uh, Connor, you've already mentioned that you haven't been able to catch any of these games. Drew, did you see how crazy that game was, that 3-3 game? Yeah, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, Houston blew a 3-1 lead, so that's never what you want. But it was cool seeing, I think her name is Cesara King, um, a rookie for Utah. She got that last goal to get a point for Utah and Utah's been surprising as well I wasn't high on either of those teams going into this tournament um, but they're both playing really well you had Vera that free kick right outside the box was a really good goal you had Shea Groom with that first time rocket so that was a really fun game to me that's been the game of the tournament and it was really surprising because like I said I wasn't expecting a whole lot from either of those teams uh, did you get to watch the game Josh yeah, I had it on while I, some, while I was doing some work, and it seemed like every time I looked over to watch a little bit of the game or check on the score, something crazy was going on. And I think like the last 10 or 15 minutes was just, it was super end-to-end, and that's when some of those late goals came. And it was just really cool to see, especially on my Twitter feed, which, as we were discussing before the show, I've got tons of soccer people that I follow, uh, whether they're writers or just other fans. And so there was so much nwsl on my timeline during those minutes and and people were all just talking about it was just a fun game to watch it was one of those games where as a neutral someone not really invested in what's going on it was just really entertaining and really end-to-end uh but to kind of get away from that a little bit just from that specific game still sticking with nwsl i've got the the standings in front of me and houston and utah are sitting second and third right now they've got four points so does washington in fourth and it's kind of looking at the standings there are some teams that have to play a third game but so far there's really three tiers and the teams that i just mentioned they're in that second tier they've all got four points portland unfortunately my thorns just two points sky blue chicago and all rain underneath all have one point they're definitely in that sort of bottom tier but in a tier all by themselves are the north carolina courage They've been pretty much unstoppable in the league the last few years, and we discussed it on one of our preview pods, but they're definitely the favorites to win this thing. They're already starting to run away here in this little group stage. Uh, What are your guys' opinions on the Courage so far uh, through this tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think, like we talked about, they're the favorites to win this tournament. Um, Even though they're coming away, they have nine points right now after their three games. 
it's still I think people are still expecting like a six nothing beat down like we saw um, against the Pride and the Thorns last year, and the Courage haven't done that yet. So I think they're they're not in their full form. I think as the tournament progresses, when you get the knockout stages, I think that's when you're going to see more of last year's team. Um, but yeah, I think you made a really good point with the tiers, and I think that makes up another good point as to when it comes to these knockout rounds, getting seeding that avoids the courage as much as possible. Like you want to push off that meeting with North Carolina until the final, if both teams get there. So I think that is really interesting when you get talk about the tiers, you're trying to get the right seeding. Maybe that two seed is what people are fighting for, because if you get that two seed, you're on the exact opposite end of the courage. And hopefully someone else takes a knock at North Carolina before you get to them. But yeah, like you said, they were favorites um, to get into this. I think me and Josh both picked them to win it all. Um, and yeah, they're showing why really good team. They have a lot of depth. They're sending out their best and it's, it's just better than everyone else. So just looking ahead in this next week, they've got three more of this uh, group stage. They've got three more match days. And as we were just talking about, you know, Drew, you're talking about the, how important that second seed is. I think, so far, there's this battle, I would say, between probably Utah and Houston. I think they're they're playing just a little bit better than Washington so far. So I'm going to go ahead and say that it's going to come down to them. And that's really big because Utah and Houston are both going to be playing this upcoming Wednesday, Utah against Oil Rain, Houston against Sky Blue. And those are important games because I think they really need to capitalize in these matches and get as many points as they can so that they can fight for that second seed. And then in an even bigger game, this upcoming Sunday, Washington and Houston are going to play each other. And I think that's Washington's last game. So that's going to be super huge for them if, if they want to get that second seed. They're probably going to have to take all three points from Houston. So that's a big game coming up on just a Sunday. And by the time we are recording next Monday, almost all the games will have been completed while we're recording, most likely, Sky Blue and North Carolina will be playing. So we'll probably have a much clearer idea of the seeding going into the knockout round. I'm sure we'll discuss it just a little bit. But uh, those are definitely some big games um, coming up this weekend. Moving on from NWSL, uh, we had a little bit of action in Europe from Americans and Canadian, Alfonso Davies. Connor, you want to talk about uh, yet another piece of silverware for Davies and his uh, team trophy cabinet? Oh, he just keeps picking up trophies, uh, which Christian Pulisic and Miguel Amaral can't do. Uh, picking up the DFB Pokal, I believe is how you pronounce it. Probably completely butchered that, but who cares? Uh, add another trophy to his trophy case, which is great for him and great for his development where he's understanding winning. Um, but yeah, he's, this has been probably the best season of any Canadian apart from maybe Atiba Hutchinson in Europe in decades. Uh, he's been spectacular. He's one of the top young touted players on the planet at this point. And to say he's a Canadian is insanely cool. If you haven't picked that up so far listening to this podcast, I don't know what you've been listening to, but I love him. Uh, I think Drew and Josh love him as long as he's not playing the States. So that's always a good thing. Uh, he's always... I guess he's not really always taking care of Pulisic because he's usually on left wing or up top, but Pulisic had a good game this weekend. Uh, he's had a good stretch of games for the last while. I believe he's drawn a penalty in the last, in like three of four of his last four games. So uh, Josh, it looks like you want to say something. 
Yeah, he's been drawing penalties and free kicks like left and right. And it's that's like you're saying, he's been on fire. And I, I think, you know, if you just look at his his box score stats, like, yeah, he's got a couple goals. He's got, I think, an assist since um, they've come back from the, what are the, they're calling it Project Restart in England. But outside of those box score stats, if you just watch him on the field, you can see how fast he's become influential on Chelsea. Um, he, he's drawn these fouls. He's drawn these free kicks. He's drawn these penalties. He's making really intelligent runs all over the pitch. Uh, he's just he's just a man on fire right now, honestly. So he's he's looking really really good. I think any American will attest to this. We've seen this potential from him, and it's really fun to watch him live up to that potential and be this amazing player consistently. That's something he's I feel like never had. He's always shown flashes of of just greatness, but not in a consistent fashion. So for him to be doing that now is huge. I think that speaks to his maturity as a player. It's hard to, to remember that he's just 21 years old, which is just insane. Um, but on top of that, you know, now his next step is to learn how to stay healthy. Uh, Alexi Lawless says this all the time, but staying fit is a skill. It's something you learn how to do. And it's something that I think Pulisic has always struggled with. So hopefully, hopefully he can stay healthy through the end of the stretch. He can stay healthy going into the next time he plays soccer, whether it's with Chelsea or with the U.S. national team, whatever happens with that, because that's really the next step for him in his game. So fun to watch, hoping for more from him down the road. Staying in the English Premier League, though, a former Atlanta United player, Miguel Almiron, is doing great for Newcastle, which is Drew's... I'll say adopted team from from the English Premier League. Drew, did you get to catch any of Miggy's awesomeness uh, in the last week? I didn't get to catch the full game. I think it was on NBC Sports Gold, and I don't have that. But I did get to see his goals. And, yeah, I mean, similar to Pulisic, he's been on fire lately. Um, when he first got to Newcastle, there was it took him a little bit to get the goal scoring going, whether it just be bad luck or just not playing in the right position, not getting the ball fed to him. But after he got that first one, um, they started falling like crazy. And then when the break happened, there was still some concern whether or not he would keep scoring goals. And he has kept scoring goals, which is really awesome to see. Um, he's leading Newcastle and scoring across all competitions between FA Cup, Premier League, and everything. And my favorite thing about it is the varieties of goals that we're seeing. You're not seeing him just taking on with his favorite left foot like we saw in a lot with Atlanta. You're seeing him, I think it was against West Ham or someone, he made a very Joseph Martin, Martinez-esque run near post and just tapped it in. Um, and then we saw him score with his right foot just inside the box. So it's been really awesome seeing MLS export uh, playing really well with Newcastle. I hear that he's getting interest from Atletico Madrid, uh, which I'm all for. I would 100% support Atletico Madrid if that happens. So I don't know much about how they play, but if Miggy fits there, I'm for it. But yeah. Um, I'm sure you feel the same way, Josh, seeing not only just an Atlanta player at MLS export, um, a really big transfer and how Atlanta does things. I'm sure it's really cool for you as well, seeing him do well in the next level. Yeah, the most exciting thing, I think, is watching him add to his game. Like you said, he's he started scoring off his right foot, which we, we like never saw in Atlanta. And so for him to add that is... it. it speaks to his work rate i think he's he's always been a really he's, he's been a player that's always given a lot of effort which will fit in perfectly at atletico madrid if he decides to go diego simeone the manager there he's known for always asking for a hundred percent 
effort from his players in both the attack and the defense. Uh, Atletico are sort of known as a kind of sit-back-and-counter team, really defensive approach, uh, and Simeone demands that all of his players play defense, which is why I think Almiron would be a great fit because one of the things that, especially here in Atlanta, we started to realize in his two years was he runs all over the place, whether the team has the ball or not. He he works hard on, on the defense, even though that's not where his highlights are. You see him scoring goals and assists and all the speed and dribbles, but he works just as hard. So I think he would fit in great with Simeone, and I think it would be really fun to watch him play for them. I don't know, you know how legit the reports are, and of course everything is just so thrown out of it's just it's all whack right now with the pandemic and, and the financial situations for all these clubs. So I don't I don't really know what's going on with all that. And you never know with Newcastle. They, they always seem like they're going to be under new ownership and it never happens. So who knows if that's going to factor into this. Uh, but I think it would be really exciting to see uh, Miguel Almiron with uh, Diego Simeone and Atletico Madrid. But keeping it MLS, so much news has happened, not just in the last week since we recorded our last episode, but in the last, I would say, 12 hours alone, tons and tons of news. Uh, first off, though, one of the probably biggest developing things over the last week is the MLS COVID, Cump, COVID Cup Twitter account, <laughs> which is seems like is someone that is currently in Orlando that is in the bubble. That's how they're tweeting, at least. They One of my favorite things is they like to use the um, siren emojis for the breaking news. So it really catches the eye on Twitter. Um, Connor, Drew, what are you guys' thoughts on this Twitter account? Connor, I feel like you have a hunch as to who it might be. What do you, what do you think about it? Uh, I have two, two takes. First of all, I think it could be a player, which I think all three of us are in agreement with, that this is probably a player. My second one that's incredibly unlikely, it's Don Garber trying to get back at the athletic. <laughs> Oh my gosh. He's trying to expose the rumors before the athletic guys can get it. If you get, remember what happened a couple weeks ago, you'll know why I'm saying this. Shout out to Don Garber for getting pissed at information getting leaked, but that's who I think it is, either Don Garber or a player. Who are your guys' theories into who is running this account? Um, I don't think it's Don Garber, but that's a really interesting theory, Connor. And I kind of hope you're right, because that would be really funny. But it was cool to see the account. It's just so funny. And it's kind of like unintentionally providing a weird sense of humor in this whole situation. But with no basis at all of who I think it is, I'm just going to say it's Breck Shea. Because I'm getting very much Breck Shea vibes from this. I think he's just sitting there in the hotel room, picking up the scoop and hanging out with his friends, tweeting stuff. So maybe he's, like, in a in a tag team with Don Garber. Like, he's in a group chat with Don Garber and the boys. And I think Breck's leaking it, but I have no basis for that whatsoever. So that's not news at all. That's just me being weird. Um, what did you think about it, Josh? Yeah, I I think it's really entertaining. It's... it's it, I Personally, I, I got to say, I don't really like the account because usually it tweets out bad news, right? There's always these positive tests they're talking about and it it seems like this person which uh, like uh connor said i agree it's probably a player it seems like this player has their ear to the ground and they're really airing out all the concerns that the players have so it's kind of like this double-edged sword right it's good that the players are they sort of have a voice and they're getting this information out but on the other side of it it's bad because 
there's all these this information about positive tests and players feeling concerned and not feeling safe, which is the last thing you know anybody wants. So it's it's cool that someone's from the inside, but at the same time, I hate seeing that account tweet because it's usually bad news. So that's just sort of that's that's my thought on it. Um, hopefully, you know this person is. I don't know how to phrase this properly. This person is only looking for bad news and and hopefully it's not quite as bad as the account seems because again at the end of the day you know we want the players to be as safe as possible i also want to point out connor and then i'll looks like you've got something to say but who knows if this account would even exist if mls hadn't been jerks to the players and tried to lock them out at the very last second before this tournament kicked off you know like what they did was pretty much inexcusable and if they had acted war- more warmly towards the players and negotiated in better faith, maybe this Twitter account doesn't exist. Maybe there isn't someone tweeting five or six times a day about how this faucet is breaking and there's a live snake crawling around in this room. Or, hey, uh, this team is pretty much half positive with COVID cases and nobody else is comfortable with this. So something to think about. What you got, Connor? I was just going to bring up my last conspiracy theory. That this is one of Sam Skagskull, or Skagskull. I don't know why I can't say that name. Uh, I'm really sorry, Sam. I wish I could, but <laughs> it's just something I can't wrap my head around. Or Paul Tenorio, because if you've noticed over the last recent while on social media, both those guys have been breaking the same story constantly in unison. And I think it's one of them that's gotten frustrated. <laughs> and so just airing out their own stories to gain a bit of notoriety. I've seen them interact with it a couple times, uh, which was pretty funny. So I feel like they know who it is, but they won't tell us. And I wish they would, because that would just be hysterical. But that's really the only positive news that has happened in the last like week, I guess, when you really think about this. Um Everything else has been depressing. I guess the only other positive news, which will hit really quickly, is Austin FC signed their first player. So congrats to Austin. You're just hidden in the background, I guess, to everything else that's happened, Um, considering a lot of people probably didn't even see it. But before we get to the COVID stuff, let's hit Jake Gleason, whose name... Most people probably don't even know, uh, for being completely honest. He was never a very big player. He was a goalkeeper for the Portland Timbers. And he's come out with a $10.2 million lawsuit against two of the Portland Timbers team physicians. Now, the two people he's filed this complaint, this lawsuit, over are two doctors who did surgeries on injuries that he had back in 2018. I believe it was 2018. It might be 2017. Um, But it sort of went from 2017 to 2018. And in that time frame, the surgery that he had became infected. Both of his legs became infected. It's not that gross. Uh, So if you're a little squeamish, that's about as gross as it gets. Um, But the two plates that he had put in his legs became infected. Now, the likelihood of that happening is incredibly low. Uh, and he acknowledged, it was acknowledged in the Oregon Live, I believe. Was it the Oregon Live? Yes. The Oregon Live paper um, 
basically came out with this story and he's filing a lawsuit stating that this decision to have the surgery and not do the right things is what cost him his career. He's stating that because the doctors didn't remove the plates when they first became infected, uh, instead of they just cleaned the area, that that potentially ended his career. So we'll see where this lawsuit goes. Um, do you guys have any sort of thoughts on this? Because it's a bit of a wild situation. So I I really feel for Jake Gleason here. I am someone who unfortunately has been through four surgeries now. Um, the most recent one I had to deal with, I was in a car accident a couple years ago. And at the time I was uh, working on my, my undergrad and it was a music degree. So I, I'm, a, I'm a percussionist. I have a really big music background. It's not just soccer. It's not just sports. But um, at the time I was... Uh, uh, really focusing on the music degree. I, I am a percussionist, so I need my arms to play drums, essentially. And I was in this car accident. The other person pulled out in front of me. Uh, basically, it was a head-on collision. And I broke my my arm clean through. And I needed to have surgery on it, and it involved putting metal in my arm. So, and, and the the things I had to deal with were awful. You know, I, I, the thing I loved most at the time playing music, right. It got taken away from me and I had to go months without doing it. And it sucked. It was an awful experience. And that's, that is, that's not even factoring in the, you know, the, the surgery and not being able to use my arm naturally for months. Um, and so for him to have soccer taken away from him like that is just, it's terrible. And like you said, Connor, the whole infection thing is super rare. And that just sounds like people weren't following the correct protocol and weren't doing the the proper thing. And Gleason has to suffer because of it. So it's an awful situation. I hope that Portland does right by him because that's all they can do at this point. They need to compensate him properly but at the end of the day, he's not going to be able to play soccer again in the way he was. I mean, he made it. He made it. He was playing professional soccer. Think about making it to the top professional status of your career, of the thing you love to do. It's hard to get there, no matter what it is. So for him to finally make it and then to not be able to go through that, I, I can relate to that. On a, I'll be at a smaller level, but I can relate to that. And so I just feel for him. And it's an unfortunate situation. And hopefully... You know, again, Portland can do everything in their power to make it as right as possible. Yeah, and one other thing I think I forgot to mention was one of the things that he said in the article, which he didn't write it, it was just a quote, was he can't even kick a soccer ball without feeling pain anymore. So that's life-changing. Diverting from the depressing end of a career, I do want to ask, because I also play the drums, what type of drums do you play? Um, all drums? Percussion? Everything, mallets, all uh, that stuff. It. Okay, so you... every every percussion instrument under the sun I've probably touched and or played, slightly learned how to play. Okay, so you're much better than I am. Got it. Um... <laughs> I do have a piece of paper that says I know how to play music and teach music. So, a very expensive piece of paper. That's 
a bonus. It's probably a little better than my two years of drumming. Uh, but <laughs> congrats. Uh, I think we in the future, we're going to dive into that because I want to hear more about your both of your lives, actually, because I think those are really interesting, <laughs> hearing about people's lives. Uh, this is a bit of a divergence and a bit of a self-promo, which I don't really try to do, but uh, who am I kidding? I do it all the time. Um, <laughs> I Right now, I'm doing a little series on another podcast I have. If you're interested in sport media, I'm interviewing, along with my co-host, basically every person who's in my program. So my sport media program at Ryerson, we're interviewing a ton of people who are doing different stuff in sport media who are just in my year. And if you like sport media, go check it out. Uh, we sort of get into their lives and stuff. So if you're interested in that, go check it out. But I want to do that on this podcast in the future with you guys, because from the sounds of it, Josh has had a pretty interesting life from what I remember touring Europe in a band. Uh, if I believe you mentioned that in one of the earlier podcasts. So yes. we'll dive into that and Josh, I'm not Josh, Drew, I believe you're a pretty good baseball player, so we can dive into that as well. I like it. Yeah, I'm all for it. All right. So once content dives down because they can't resume the regular season, uh, we'll do that because that'll be a lot of fun. Um, we really should have done that a couple of weeks ago, shouldn't we have? It's, it's all right. Eh, whatever. It, we missed it. Whatever. Um, back to soccer because we got way off on a tangent thanks to me, and I'll be completely honest, I do that a lot. Um Let's dive into, where do we begin? I guess we should begin with Toronto, because this is, I. it's not really the beginning, but it's sort of unrelated to everything else, sort of related. I'll tie it back to it. You know what I'm doing. Basically, the Toronto FC situation. So if you haven't been following what happened, last week, uh, manager Greg Vanny said he wasn't sure about going to, as he called a COVID hotspot in Florida, because if you are living under a rock and haven't been paying any attention to COVID-19, they've had five-digit cases day over day. Um, So he wasn't exactly a fan of going there when he could stay in Toronto, where we're in the double digits in terms of daily cases. With that being said, Toronto FC were scheduled to fly out to Orlando on Friday. Sounds normal. Sounds like everything would go to plan. Until a member of the traveling party said that they were, I'm doing air quotes here, showing symptoms. Now, one of the theories that has been thrown out there, and I'm interested to get your take, uh, boys, is that this wasn't an actual symptoms issue. This was a fact of a player saying... We don't really want to go, so we're going to delay it a couple days and just lie and say that we have symptoms when, in reality, we're sneezing because we have a grass allergy and just cut our grass. What do you guys think this is? Do you think this is a legit test um, issue with Toronto? Because they did subsequently test again, and the entire team tested negative, and they left today. They landed about, as we're recording this, around an hour and a half ago. So they're in Orlando now, but it did delay them two days. Do you think that this was an attempt to beat the system, as I've seen some people use on social media? Or do you think this this was a genuine, we think we might have a, an issue here, we should stay behind, 
Drew, let's start with you, and then we'll dive into Josh. What do you think about this whole situation? Yeah, I don't... I'm not buying the beat the system idea. Um, I'm not the biggest one in the conspiracy theories. So, I mean, obviously you want to be play it as safe as possible. So if a player is showing symptoms, you'd rather delay the travel a couple of days rather than sending um, a positive test player with the team. And then we all know what can happen after that. So, and if they try to beat the system, it didn't work. Like you said, um, it feels like they just landed around in Florida, um, maybe a couple hours ago by the time we're recording this. So I'm not buying totally that it was an attempt to beat the system. Um, maybe they were just sneezing because they were cutting their grass or something like that. But as a club in this crazy time and traveling to a hot spot, uh, you want to be as careful as possible. And whether or not, and at the earliest showing of symptoms, uh, you want to play that as if it is a positive case, just to keep things as safe as possible. So I'm not buying into the beat the system conspiracy theory. I think Toronto was just being as safe as they needed to as a, as they saw fit um which now it's good they're in florida getting ready to play so i'm not buying the beat the system conspiracy theory josh what are your thoughts on it i'm pretty much in the same boat i don't i don't really think either that they necessarily did that on purpose to try to avoid i think it works out in their favor though that it, it kept them from coming to this this hot spot which i think it, it We'll talk about it a little bit more later as we get into some other teams that are dealing with it. But it kind of brings up this interesting, I guess I'll just, I'll call it a debate for lack of a better term, but you're really seeing the flaws in this bubble idea because it's interesting to see a lot of people try to point out, well, Orlando's a hotspot. There's thousands and thousands of cases in Florida every single day. It's it's horrible down there. And that is true. We got to keep in mind that the players are, supposed to be kept from making contact with people that live in Florida or reside in Florida, talking about mostly the hotel employees. That being said, that's only stopping you from, as a player, stopping you from coming into contact with people in Florida, but what about what's happening in your home markets? And that's where it sounded like Greg Vanny was coming from, right? Toronto, they're handling their business. Canada, they're handling their business. No surprise, they're not the United States. That being said, of course they'd want to stay there longer. They're safer there longer on paper. Why would they want to go anywhere in the United States, let alone a state with a hotspot? So I think it makes sense for them. Now, if you talk about a different state in the United States that maybe things aren't going so hot in their, in their home state, and again, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but maybe they should have gotten to Orlando a little bit earlier so that they could quarantine their way out of what was going on to be ready in time for the tournament. But I, I definitely want to talk about that point a little bit later, but going back to to you connor on toronto um what else what what do, you, what do you think do you think this was the right thing for them overall to wait until later or or do you think it doesn't matter well with everything that's come out and what we've seen come out i think it was definitely the right decision uh it was oh i don't know if it's necessarily a decision in terms of the fact that they intentionally didn't show up or if this was a situation of, oh, we should just be a little bit overtly cautious with what we've seen from, we'll get into Nashville, we'll get into FC Dallas, and a couple other cases. Let's not contribute to that issue that's already there. So I didn't have an issue with it. I know that there are some people, uh, I believe Paul Tenorio was one of them, 
who did have an issue with it because he viewed it as though Toronto FC were putting everybody else at risk. But I feel like that negates the fact that they've all been socially distancing and are coming from a city which, as I've mentioned, we're having double-digit cases. Our entire province, which is, for the Americans who don't know what provinces are, the equivalent of a state, is putting up triple digits. And a vast majority of those are under 175 uh, cases per day and coming from migrant workers who are on farms, uh, which they haven't done nearly enough to allow these people to socially distance and be safe from this virus. But that's another conversation for another day. And I'm not going to get into that because people should be safe. But here we are. I don't agree with Paltonorio in that statement. Uh, I believe it was Paltonorio. If it wasn't, I apologize. Uh, it might have been Sam. I think it was one of the athletic uh, writers, but I'm not 100% certain. I have no issue with it. I highly doubt most people would have an issue with it when you consider just the situation that they were in and the fact that they are going to Orlando where there have been cases and they're going to a place where FC Dallas had 10 cases. 10 players on that team tested positive. And that's frankly, A, terrifying, be embarrassing because they should have known better to socially isolate in Texas. No offense, people from Texas, but you haven't exactly handled the COVID-19 pandemic the best in the world. And now they're paying the price. FC Dallas today were forced, or I guess forced, out of the tournament. MLS pulled them out because they had too many cases and... I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts on this, um, but briefly, the club issued a statement, the league made an announcement, there are a lot of questions that are still surrounding this, which we'll dive into in a second. Most importantly, though, I think is the first sort of few words on the Twitter statement that FC Dallas made, uh, and I can read the beginning of it for our listeners. Um he basically said, or he, FC Dallas said, FC Dallas supports Major League Soccer's decision to withdraw the club from the MLS's back tournament after 10 FC Dallas players and one coach tested positive for COVID-19 while in Orlando. So, they're saying they didn't leave by choice, they were forced out. What do you guys sort of make of that statement and where do we go from here so i think first of all it's really it's a really important distinction right it's not dallas saying that they wanted to leave on their own it's dallas saying the league is making them leave and that distinction becomes even more key when you see what grant wall has been tweeting out in about the last hour so first he said sources with knowledge of the situation told him that other teams wanted Dallas removed because of their numbers going up. Um, and he even goes on to point out the official language that was used, right? Dallas was withdrawn by MLS, not Dallas chose to on their own. And he, again, he further goes on to say that he understands where other MLS or clubs are coming from. Um, 
and he says, quote, we did what we needed to do to be virus-free in the bubble. You guys didn't enough. So it sounds like other MLS teams are really upset that Dallas allowed these to, to happen. That being said, it's important to know that they're coming from a state whose regulations were loosened very quickly and very early before other states in the U.S. So Texas is having their own problems right now. They finally uh, made it mandatory to wear masks in public settings outside of, out of your homes and, and whatnot, which too little too late. Uh, you know, for a team like Dallas, apparently it is. Um, but now, obviously, they have to, to leave out of the tournament. If I'm not mistaken, when this happened with the Orlando Pride, they withdrew on their own. And NWSL did not really force them out. At least it didn't come across that way. But again, those players, they chose to go out in public places in a state, Florida, with loosened regulations. So that to me is, is super important. And I think that at the end of the day, it sounds like these other teams that did their jobs to stay virus-free aren't going to let other teams slip up and risk canceling the whole tournament. Drew, what are your thoughts on Dallas having to withdraw? Yeah, I really like how you closed your little rant there about how every team, it feels like the other clubs in the league are holding Dallas accountable for this, um, which I think is a great thing. And going to the, back to the NWSL, losing the pride, um, obviously it sucks, no one really wants it. But as the games have kept going on, um, the product on the field is still really good, and people are still loving this tournament. People are still tuning in. So I think other clubs holding Dallas accountable and saying that we don't want you here because you haven't handled your business like other clubs, um, that is obviously much better than Dallas infecting the other team. And the next thing you know, the whole tournament's canceled. So while losing Dallas, um, no one wants it. It's not the ideal situation at all. I think the NWSL has been a cool blueprint that it's not the end of the world. The tournament's still going to be fun. It's still MLS. We're still going to love it. But yeah, I think I think even Josh you had a good thread about it on Twitter, pointing out the distinction that this happened in Texas, right? This was a thing before the bubble um, that these players contracted the virus in Texas. And the bubble, it's kind of a question about did MLS protocols fail and that's how um, the virus would spread or was it a Dallas thing? And it's sounding very much like it's a Dallas thing. And it's good that other clubs are holding the team accountable and saying that you didn't handle your business, so we don't want you here. And like you said, the wording is really interesting when you talk about the national situation, whether or not that's going to be the same as what we see with Dallas. Um, if teams are going to say the same thing about Nashville, I have a lot of questions floating around that club. So I thought I was, obviously it stinks, no one likes it, but I was really encouraged to see other teams taking a step and saying you to handle your business so you have a price to pay for it. And that, unfortunately for Dallas and its supporters, means not being in this tournament. And going back to the to, to this being Dallas's issue, even the team, more specifically uh, President Dan Hunt, even he's placing the blame on the state of Texas. He's saying, quote, it was early for people to return to work. I think Governor Abbott did a great job instituting the mask rule recently. I think we should have had that earlier, end quote. So even Dan Hunt and FC Dallas right there noticing that this is a, a byproduct of, of Texas's lax regulations with this virus and dealing with this pandemic. So I don't really think this is the league's fault necessarily. Obviously, they are 
accepting the risk of pushing all of these teams and players and, and staff together in one area, and there's inherent risk in that for sure. But this spread, this team dealing with so many positive cases, to me it doesn't feel like a result of MLS's protocol and procedures. This doesn't feel like the 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 bubble's fault. This feels like the state's fault that this team is coming from. You know, we just have to hope as fans of the game that all the other teams and all the other states they're coming from, they handled their business as well. It's like Drew was just hinting at. We may have another team dropping out very soon. Nashville reportedly have five confirmed cases, I believe it is, with another three inconclusive positive tests. So they could have up to eight players or staff, whatever the numbers are, but that's still a big number for a, a group of, what is it, I think 40 people that are allowed to go, 35 maybe, because you're only bringing about 20, 22 players and then maybe about 10 more staff max. So Nashville might be next. Connor, what do you think about that? Do you think the tournament should still go on? I know you just wrote a really good piece about this sort of moral question of MLS deciding to still have this tournament. Does does one team in Dallas dropping out and another possibly dropping out in Nashville, does that affect your stance on it? Um, I think it's tough because when you consider the grand scheme of things, it's 2 of 26. And when you look at the NWSL, it was 1 of 9, right? And the NWSL still, still put a tournament on. The issue that I have is where we get into what do we do about the regular season games? Because obviously Nashville, if they drop out, and Dallas, because they have now dropped out, are going to miss out on those three games. So what do they? What does the league do to make up for that? Do they try to fit them in later in the season? And if you do that, how do you make sure that every team plays the same amount of games? Do you, if Nashville drops out, do you have FC Dallas and Nashville play three games against each other in a neutral site? Not one of their home fields just to not grant any sort of potential advantage. I think it's really worrisome that they're having this many cases and with the rumors that staff weren't bringing meals to players' rooms who were being quarantined. You know, that was one of the things that these guys who potentially had COVID had to go down to where the players got food and get their own meals. And that brings the risk of potential spread within the bubble. And that's what worries me the most is, has there been spread in the bubble? Because Nashville and FC Dallas aren't the only teams that have had positive cases. I believe there are two other teams that have had at least one case. Uh, You look at Colorado, who didn't travel uh, on the date that they were supposed to because they had two positive cases on their final round before their flight, and now they're traveling tomorrow. So where does that leave MLS is their actual community spread is my biggest issue. And Also, one of the things that I wanted to bring up before we jump to you, Josh, because I think you have something you want to say, is everybody's sort of putting it like the player's oh, the poor players, they have no choice but to go. They did have a choice but to go. They could have not gone. Carlos Vela dropped out of this tournament. He said, no, I don't want to go because 
if you aren't aware, his wife is pregnant and he wanted to be with his family for that. Completely justifiable. If someone doesn't want to go because of their health, they don't have to go. And one of the other things that we're considering is, oh, it's just for the owner's uh, bottom line. Okay, yes, sure. But the players are also getting paid for this too. Well, yes, granted a lot less, but they're still getting paid. Owners aren't going to profit off of this, most likely, unless the TV deals are incredible that these teams are making tens of millions of dollars. They aren't. And right now we're in a situation where we're painting the league as the bad guys when, in a way, they are still the bad guys, but they're not as bad as we're making them out to be, if that makes sense. They're putting on a product and they're keeping their employees employed is what I tried to point out in my article. Um, it's, it's a tough position for the league right now because on one hand, you have the safety of your players, your staff, employees, everyone involved in this tournament. And on the other hand, you have money. And that's what sports are all about. That's what businesses are all about. And sports is a business, as I pointed out in my article. I feel like I'm just reciting my article at this point. Um, but it's the question of, do you send them? And I question I asked at the very end of the article, which is what I want to ask you to, is would you send, or would you be okay with sending a family member or a close friend if it could potentially change the sport that they love at the risk of them potentially catching COVID-19? Because Right now, we have the chance, or MLS has the chance, to change the face of soccer in North America. Soccer is going to be the only sport in North America until baseball starts on July 22nd, I believe, or maybe 23rd. That's two weeks of just you. And that's exponential, as we've mentioned on the podcast before. So what do you guys think of that question? Would you be comfortable sending your family? So I, I wouldn't be comfortable sending a family member. Um, and I, I can't, you know, I can't speak because I'm not a player. But personally, if it were me, I would be okay with leaving my family for a few weeks. Now, I say that as someone who is not married, does not have kids. Okay, so it's easy for me to say that, yes. But there are many players like me that are even my age and are in a similar situation. For the, fam- the players that do have families, I can imagine that it's a very difficult decision to leave them for a month and a half or a month. But Connor, you bring up a really good point. The players agreed to do this. They also agreed that seven days before the first match was the right time to arrive in the bubble. And we're finding out that, that was not a good idea because either players needed to be in two weeks before so they could pass through a quarantine if necessary, or they need to be showing up at the very last possible second, which is extremely risky by itself. So I think that's something that that needs to be taken into account. But you bring up a good point, right? The players want to be here. They want to play. They want to make money. And some of them might even want to capitalize on soccer being the only sport in the U.S. So I think that's an important thing to keep in mind uh, as much as we're talking about the the league and all the missteps that they've taken. Uh, Back to some of the earlier things you were saying, though. Um, For Dallas's games, my gut says there won't be a regular season after this, and it won't matter that Dallas didn't get to participate in the tournament. My gut says that we won't even get a normal edition of CCL in the spring, in which case the winning the CCL spot is irrelevant. 
Um, I still think, you know, even if a player thinks that, they're going to compete regardless because that's why they're there. They wouldn't have made it to this level if they didn't know how to compete or they didn't have a desire to compete. But I don't even think regular games are going to be, or I should say regular season games, are going to be an issue. And even if they are, I think they'll find a way to fit in those three games. At the end of the day, it's just three games. So it's not the end of the world. It's not a huge gap to make up. So I don't really think that will end up being much of an issue. Um, and then the other thing I sort of wanted to mention is is what you were saying about Vela opting out. This is one of the things I don't like about the MLS COVID comp account, whatever it is. Uh, as we're recording this, I think 15 minutes ago, the... MLS COVID Cup account, they're retweeting an old MLS Works tweet from October of last year. And it's a tweet congratulating the 2019 MLS Works Humanitarian of the Year, which was Matt Lampson, a goalkeeper for LA Galaxy. Matt Lampson is a cancer survivor. He's a very high-risk demographic for being exposed to this virus. We've spoken about Jordan Morrison and dealing with diabetes, and obviously Vela's got a pregnant... Uh, wife and a, a child soon. Lampson's had cancer before, so he's super high risk. And basically, the MLS COVID Cup account is uh, sort of trying to point out the hypocrisy of the league promoting this person that survived cancer while now putting them in danger. But like you said, Connor, they're not really putting this person in danger. This person is either deciding to play or they're not deciding to play. And I support his decision 100%, whatever it is. I'm that way for all the players. I think we're all on the same page in that regard. Uh, but that's just something to keep in mind. For these players that are high risk or that have family members that are high risk, it, it, at the end of the day, the choice is on them. They're the ones who wanted to come back and play soccer. They're the ones that agreed to this tournament. We don't have time to get into the, the bigger issues on that and the whole labor disagreements and whatnot, but... N- this final decision to play or not to play is now on the player itself. It's not the league forcing them to do anything. So that's sort of an issue I have with this this insider account kind of trying to point out the hypocrisy of the league. Again, though, this probably wouldn't be happening if the league weren't being jerks to the players in the first place. So that's where I'm at on that. Drew, what are your thoughts on whether or not this tournament should go forward and, and if you think it's plausible at this point and your thoughts on Dallas dropping out Nashville possibly dropping out yeah I think um when the news first dropped that Dallas was opting out of the tournament our like MLS multiplex slack just blew up and in the middle of all these wonderful messages I think Josh was even messaging that there's no way this tournament gets canceled um this is just I mean the same vibe from this tournament as I am the NWSL Challenge Cup that this is just a way to grab the money while you can get out of there and then get ready for next season. Just make as much money as you can while everyone's losing money. So this is your best shot to make money. Um, and there's no way you can cancel it. Games start, what, in two days? So, and yeah, I mean, going to the Challenge Cup again, like you lost a team and that was really big news there for a day. But once the games hit the field, um, it seemed like old news. You had really good soccer. And I think we're going to have the same thing with MLS in this tournament. Teams are going to compete. These players that like you said, have agreed to go to this tournament, are going to go out there and they're going to give it their all. They want to play. Uh, we want to see them play, and they want to win this trophy. So I think it's not going to get canceled. Um, I think it's going to go on. And it make, it brings up a lot a good question about when we talked about the pride, what about the competitive legitimacy of this tournament? Like how do we know that Dallas wasn't going to get hot and win this championship? And if Nashville was to come out, 
even though it's Nashville, very low odds, how do we know Nashville wouldn't get hot and go on to win the whole thing? So the tournament's not going to get canceled. I'm going back to Connor's question. I think I'm with Josh. I don't know if I'd feel comfortable sending the future father of my child, in the case of Carlos Vela, sending someone like that and my family to this competition. Um, so again, like Josh mentioned, fully respect that guy's decision. Um, it stinks I won't get to see one of the best players in the continent play, but a thousand percent understand and support his decision as well as other players' decisions to opt out of the tournament. But players opted out of the Challenge Cup, and when the ball hits the field and games start going, you forget about it and you're focusing on the game. So the tournament, um, it's going to be exciting. It's going to right now. It's a really low spot, but I think once games kick off, I mean matches are being played, and we can talk about soccer and tactics again. Um, this might this Dallas thing might kind of fade away in the background in Nashville the same way. So there's no shot it gets canceled um, to me. Yeah, and you brought up matches being played. One of the things that we haven't even addressed yet is there's a fairly decent chance that some matches are going to get suspended. Uh, there are apparently open 9 o'clock slots, and now every FC Dallas game is open. So you have those open time slots, and who knows what's going to happen. One of the rumors is if the team hasn't been in the Orlando bubble for seven days or seven days before their game, that game is going to be suspended and moved to another date, which would affect Toronto FC's game this week. But that's sort of where we're sitting right now, and we're in a bit of a limbo as to what's going to happen. We don't know. MLS was supposed to release an update in terms of positive tests, uh, I believe today, if not today, then tomorrow, and hopefully we'll find out then. But who knows? I believe the last time they released a case update, I can't remember if it was MLS or the NHL, they released it at like midnight and almost hit it. Um, But that's where we stand right now. And we've been going for an hour. So with that, uh, thank you for listening. We're doing something which you need to watch out for tomorrow. We're going to do a special episode, prediction episode, where we're featuring a ton of writers and former writers from MLS Multiplex. And we're going to be doing a prediction video for the upcoming tournament, whether or not it happens. Um, So look out for that tomorrow. That'll be just probably just before kickoff or early afternoon on Wednesday, maybe late morning. So keep an eye out for that. Check it out. Check out all of the contributors and writers' written work at MLSMultiplex.com. Josh is putting out his tactics article very soon, which you should go read. Drew's doing crazy good stuff with the NWSL as well as John, so you should go and check out their work. Um, You can follow both of these guys on Twitter at Josh underscore Boland and at underscore Drew Hubbard. You can check out me on Twitter at CWG Somerville. And with that, thank you for listening. We will see you tomorrow... And MLS is one day away. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the MLS Multiplex podcast. Check out all of the contributors' written work at MLSMultiplex.com.